So, um, Easter egg material, special bonus material. I grew up, I was really, a lot of my formative years were in a small country Pentecostal church, and sometimes I just can't resist it. So, the secret, real title of this sermon series is Show Up, Grow Up, and Fess Up. But I can't say that on Facebook, because uh, show up is, like, that's kind of okay. I think grow up comes with an implicit accusation. Um, But the thing is, is that uh, increase in maturity with regards to what defines success in godly friendships just doesn't rhyme with anything. So so the real one is show up, grow up, and fess up, and today we're going to talk about (laughs) showing up. Um, The next one is my confession. If you've been here for very long, um, you might be aware of, like, a small elephant in the room, like a baby elephant, like a very, like a cute one, um, in which we're talking about friendship, and Kara, the introvert of introverts, who doesn't show up to things. How many years have you had your Super Bowl party, Ryan Reed? It's like going on maybe 10 years. Geraldine, it's been like, it's been a while. Yeah, I've, I've never, I've never been. I always get invited, and I never go. Um, so it's a little bit funny, and, and I just want to let you know that it's not lost on me. When we came to the conclusion that this is the sermon series for now, and I really felt like, oh, I've got, I think we've got to talk about this, and we're praying about it, I think I should preach it. I feel like, God, you know, this, there's a little bit of a mismatch here, and I feel like God just kind of shared, you know, sometimes the people who are really great at math are really lousy teachers, but the ones who struggle with it can like really identify and like help their help students. So uh, hopefully we can put my struggles to show up to good use as uh, we're all challenged by the Bible together. And anyway, friendship is really tough. I think childhood sets us up for this. I feel like our childhoods um, or time when we were younger, which the older I get becomes like a more inclusive time, maybe falls into one of two loose categories. So maybe you can identify with one of these or maybe even both of these like in different periods of time. And one of them would be that when you were younger, maybe friendship was um, easy and natural. You were friends with everybody in your class, or you were the prom king or queen, and it just happened. You had people to talk to and to do life with, and now that you're a little bit more like in the grown-up world, you're thinking, what happened? Like, people used to like me. Why is this so hard? On the other side of that extreme, maybe when you were younger, friendships were not easy and natural. Maybe they were really hard. Maybe you experienced a lot of rejection, being the odd man out when you were growing up, in which case you might be thinking, isn't it about time? Isn't it about time? Like, I'm not surrounded by dippy high school kids who don't know who's who. Like, these are grown-ups, and they should be able to recognize that, like, I'm smart and and funny and want to be my friend. Why is it so hard to be friends? The reality is that friendship was tough even for Jesus. As God, walking around in a human body, he picked 12 very special friends, the disciples. And they did all kinds of things. He really invested in them. He shares his secret decoder ring with them about every parable. Like he tells the story, and then they go talk later, and it's clear that they didn't understand it at all. They're like, seeds, birds, what was was all that? Um, Jesus includes them in all of these miracles. You know, like they get to experience, like, let's feed 5,000 people together with just these couple of loaves of bread. I feel like that should build relationship and trust. And Jesus, 
in what I think is the most impressive display of restraint, didn't strike a single one of them with a bolt of lightning a single time, which I feel like sometimes these guys are the worst. And I think that if I had God powers, like that might have been, that might have been like a, a constant part of my prayer life if I had been Jesus. Lord, help me not strike these guys down because, oh my gosh, they don't get it. So after all that, let's walk on water together. I'll give you the power to heal people too. Um, all, of, all of that stuff. And Jesus still gets betrayed. And the betrayal comes from inside that group of 12 people. Judas is one of them, and he sells Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Even one of his, like, BFFs, like one of the real special guys in, like, the top three, Peter, he uh, denies Christ three times on the day of his death after Jesus warned Peter that it would happen, and Peter promised not to do it. Like, he couldn't even make it. You know what I mean? It's like, like, maybe... I could understand if it caught him by surprise. Whoops, I, I forgot that I knew Jesus. But like Jesus said, you're going to deny me today. And Peter said, no, 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 I definitely won't. And then he definitely did more than once. So if Jesus can't find great friends, what hope do we have? And the, and the thing that I want to talk about, we need to talk about kind of a, a little vineyard concept here. When we talk about the kingdom of God, Jesus says that the kingdom of God is both now and not yet. Jesus says the kingdom of God is here. Sometimes he declares that somebody gets healed, and Jesus is like, this is it. This is the kingdom of God. This is the perfect reign and rule of God. God is getting his way. And then sometimes Jesus said the kingdom of God is coming, or the kingdom of God is delayed. And so if the kingdom is both now and not yet, then as a kingdom citizen, I am both now and not yet. And my friendships are both now and not yet. Really quick, we live in this time between times. So Jesus, before him, human rebellion really set the agenda for like how the world works. And God gave us the law through Moses to guide us. But that same law condemns us because we fail. We don't keep all of the law. And then Jesus arrives and he fulfills the law. So um, uh, maybe you've seen The Lord of the Rings. Like I'm a lightweight, so I've seen the movie, but I haven't read the book. But you know that moment when Gandalf comes back to life and they're like, Gandalf, Gandalf. And he's like, oh, no, no. They're like, you're Saruman. And he says, I am Saruman. Saruman, Saruman, or Saruman as he should have been. Like, Jesus is humanity as we should have been. He's Adam as he should have been. He's the chosen nation of Israel as they should have been. And you see all these comparisons, like, like the people of Israel um, go off to Egypt, and then Jesus is born, and they have to go off to Egypt. Like, there are a lot of these parallels that you see of Jesus kind of reenacting the history of humanity to do it right. And so we live in this time where Jesus has come and had victory, and he signaled that signaled the beginning of the end times, but they've lasted for a while because it's not like the end of the end. So maybe if you're watching the Super Bowl, it's like when you know your team is definitely going to win, like there's no hope for the other team, like the opposition has definitely lost. But there's still time on the clock. So victory is guaranteed, but we still have to do the first down and the and the other things in the football <laughs> until, until the game is done. So the game's not done, but we know we're going to win. We know Jesus is the victor, but sometimes we still like, have some struggle because the game is still in progress, and that's what my friendships are like. I know that Jesus is here with me. I know that he can enrich my life. I still struggle in my day-to-day to connect with other people and to have these deep relationships that I know that God wants me 
to have. Because I'm in the kingdom, and I'm a now and not yet kingdom citizen, for me, sometimes that means God is ruling and reigning perfectly in my life. So sometimes I make the hospital visit. Sometimes I like cook food that tastes good, or more likely my husband cooks food that tastes really good, and I bring it and share a meal with someone who's like had a baby or has a birthday. Um, Sometimes I listen for a long time without judging. But sometimes the kingdom is coming or the kingdom is delayed, and while we wait, I fail hard. I get selfish or I flake on plans or I interrupt your story with my far more interesting story. Um, You all know me, and you know this is really a thing for me. Anyone who has ever texted me knows that sometimes I'm not great at friendship while you wait for days or weeks for me to text back. And so the reality is, is that of my flaws, one of my sins in not being a good friend is that sometimes I leave the people that I love, I leave them lonely. Sometimes I'm the cause of loneliness. We said in our little Facebook thing, you know, maybe sometimes we get to feeling lonely. And even as I'm typing that, I just think, you know, maybe I've made you lonely, you know, because I didn't show up. So that's a big part of friendship is just showing up. It's just showing up. And there are different kinds. Being physically present is a big deal. Because if I have the most social savvy in the world, if I have the best stories or I'm the greatest listener or I'm an overall joy to be around, if I'm not around, then it doesn't matter. Then I can't support you and we can't develop a deeper friendship. Another part of showing up, is being mentally and emotionally present and available. So even if we attend every party, even if I make every coffee date, if I spend the whole time on my phone, or if I one-up every story that you tell, or I turn the conversation back to myself again and again, then I'm not going to experience those deep and meaningful friendships. So how can we get there? If the kingdom is now, how can we have that now way of connecting with one another? Let's look at 2 Corinthians. And this isn't going to be one of those, like, they broke bread together every day kind of passages or bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We will get to those, and we will have some practical sermons coming up. Um, But first, I think God has told us to start in a deep internal place um, of us and Jesus. So this is 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 21. Um, And if it'll be on the screen or if you have a Bible, you'll have a second to turn um, while I go past verse 16, which I don't actually want to start with. I want to start with verse 17. So this is in the NIV. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new is here. And this is Paul talking. Paul and Timothy wrote this letter to the church in Corinth. And so Paul would know, because when he says the old is gone, like his old was like a really bad old. Like I just kind of gave a confession of not, I'm not like a great friend. I think Paul probably had some sermons like that too. Like, guys, I really used to be the worst. I'm sorry about that. So the old is gone, (laughs) and the worst in me is gone, and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
I want to read this again in the Passion Translation. I got some really good advice a little bit ago that, you know, if things seem stale in the Bible, find yourself another translation and things will be all new again. I think this is probably a little bit more like the message. It's kind of, it's like a very dynamic translation, maybe even a little bit of a paraphrase, but like I am so there for a retelling of the Bible um, in words that really help me understand. And so I just want to go over that, that last little bit there. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new person. All that is related to the old has vanished. And then skipping down, we are ambassadors of the anointed one, that's Jesus, who carry their message, who carry the message of Christ to the world as though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. We so tenderly plead with you on Christ's behalf, turn back to God and be reconciled to him, For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us so that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. So let's talk about that word righteousness. I listened to an interesting sermon by Tim Keller a few days ago, and he said, you know, whenever I think of the word righteousness, I think of a white starched shirt, like a button-down business shirt. (laughs) And everybody kind of chuckles because, like, that's kind of weird, Tim Keller. You think of a white shirt. He's like, I think of a white shirt. And then I was talking about what righteousness I'm at with my husband, who immediately pulled out a Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure quote and was like, righteous, you know, and he's just like, it just shows you what words mean, you know, like how we just, we fill them with meaning, don't we, with our own context. Um, but uh, but the, the, when we talk about righteousness, I think a lot of times we think of like being virtuous or having good morals, you know, like doing all the right things. But the way that um, the word is used more, more regularly in the Bible, and there are more than one definition, but the way that it's word used more rightly is it means acceptableness or rightness. So like I work for a company where we take a lot of trips. They like once a year usually like kind of bring everybody together and there'll be a little bit of work and usually they'll have like a party. Super cool. And whenever it's somebody's first year, hmm, definitely whenever it's a woman's first year, I actually just now realize like, I don't know if the guys do struggle with this, but every woman who started this job in her first year, she says, what do I wear to the party? What do I wear? Because I want to be right. I want to be acceptable. Like, what's everybody else going to wear? I don't want to be too fancy. I don't want to be too casual. I want to wear the right thing. Or, like, if you've ever been on a job interview, dudes, too. I think you've probably considered, like, what's the right thing to wear? Because I want to be acceptable. Like, I want to be, I don't want to be rejected. Really, the opposite of righteousness, in this way, it's not sinfulness. It's rejection. So let's read that again. Let's consider it this way. Verse 21 For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us, so that we who know only rejection might become the acceptableness of God through our union with him. Another way that I like to think about righteousness is thinking about it as like right place, right time. Doesn't it feel great to be in the right place, right time? Do you have like a I was in the right place at the right time kind of a story? Um, I've got a friend who I work with, and he's, he's always in the right place at the right time. <laughs> um, he also has great hair, and he's like a little bit on the shorter side. But like he can handle it because he has these incredible stories that he can tell of having been in the right place at the right time. He worked as a movie extra on uh, the set of a movie that was starring Johnny Depp. And I don't actually, I I need to see the movie. I don't remember what it's called. But Johnny Depp robs a bank, and they needed one of the extras to be, like, standing in line at the bank so that Johnny Depp could hold a gun up against him and, like, say some lines. And my friend is a little bit short. And Johnny Depp is a little bit short. 
And for movie magic, if you've got a short lead and you want him to look taller, you surround him by short people. So they looked at all of the sea of extras, people who might not even make the final cut of the film, and they pointed to my friend Andy and they said, hey, you, stand here, don't talk to Mr. Depp. Just stand right there. That's your job. <laughs> and so Johnny Depp, like, does the scene, and they film it several times. And, of course, everybody else is, like, you know, like, behave a certain way. But Johnny Depp's like, why aren't you talking, man? You okay? You know, because Johnny Depp is cool. I was born in the 80s. I was a teenage girl in the 90s. I think very highly of Johnny Depp. <laughs> and uh, this guy was in the right place at the right time. He was acceptable. He got to, like, oh, in my mind, he's, like, best friends with Johnny Depp, and they celebrate every birthday together. So, um, so that's kind of, like, a right, type, like, right place, right time. If any of us have tried to make friends, we've had the opposite of that happen to you, right? We've certainly experienced rejection. Because if you try to make friends with somebody, eventually you're going to find somebody that doesn't want to be your friend. It's just, it's just the reality of the broken world that we're in. I have, um, I have an incredible story of rejection from high school, which I've actually shared in a sermon one time before this. And if you have an embarrassing story, can I just recommend to you, preach it? Because then, like, it gets a lot funnier. <laughs> like, you share it with the Internet, and everybody can say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that happened. And, and you feel a little bit better. Like, there's a little, like, oh, yes, let us all agree that that was the most awful thing that happened. So let's talk about it again. Maybe it'll get even better for me. Um, <laughs> so, so when I was in high school, um, and I was kind of like a, I'm kind of a formal person anyway. So, like, if you're imagining high school Kara, high school Kara was, like, the drum major of the marching band. So, like, the uniformed rule followers made me their queen. That's who I was in high school. And I had been absent, and so I was standing in the line that you have to stand in with your note from your mom, because we used paper back then. And my children can't conceive of this whole process. They immediately went to, actually, like, isn't it easy to fake a note from your mom? (laughs) Yes, it is. And I think I might have been in line with some people who might have faked a note from their mom. The people standing right in front of me, there there was a, a, a guy and a girl and uh, these were people that, like, I, I don't want to be friends with them. I don't want to talk to them. Like, they're, they were, like, kind of scary bad kids. Although, to be fair, like, basically everybody in my high school, in my mind, was a bad kid. Because, again, formal, formal, formal kind of a person. So, uh, so they were talking, and I was, I was very carefully not eavesdropping. So I don't actually know what happened before this moment. But it was something about, like, pregnancy, which, of course, is a scandal in high school. So I don't know if, like, if she was pregnant or if she didn't know if she was pregnant or if he was asking her out on a date and she was like, no, I don't want to get pregnant. Like, I'm not sure what was going on. But uh, something, something, something. And then he turns to me and he says... Well, she could be your surrogate, which is wildly inappropriate. We're like all 16, and like, what am I gonna like? I don't, I don't wanna, I'm not in this, I'm not in this, you know, like, I just wanted to disappear. But then she says, in like a defining moment of high school for me, she says, she's too ugly to be my surrogate. I was a beautiful high school girl. Don't worry about me. I was beautiful. Um, but, but at the moment, I didn't feel it. At the moment, I was like, like in my mind, and I couldn't say anything. I couldn't say anything at all. And it's lucky that I didn't because all of the words tumbling through my mind turned into this bizarre mix of like, that's not even how surrogacy works. Don't you know how surrogacy works? It's not like I'm passing on my genetic information. It's, it's somebody else's child, and I just like give them a home. I'm, how ugly do you have to be to make the baby ugly that you're not even related to? I could be your surrogate. 
I'd be a great surrogate. I'd be the best surrogate there ever was. I'd eat healthy, and I'd sleep a lot, and I'd give up caffeine, and, and like I'm trying to justify and make myself acceptable in this insane situation with these people that a second ago I didn't even want to talk to because we are just so hardwired for acceptance. I want to be accepted. I hate rejection. So we have to start here. We have to start in 2 Corinthians that we are acceptable to God exactly the way that Jesus is acceptable to God. God doesn't have rose-colored glasses. He has Jesus glasses. And when he looks into this room, he sees there are so many Jesuses in this room. That's what he sees. He sees, here is my daughter. In her, I am well-pleased. Here is my son. I'm so proud of him. This is the view that God has of us. It's like in our lives, we're, we, we sin and we're headed toward a very just execution because the wages of sin is death. And Jesus just cuts in front of us in the line and goes and sets his own head down on the chopping block. And then the only place left for us to go is into this like winner's circle of warmth and love from the Father who says, you did it right. I accept you. You have a place here with me. And I don't have that place because I earned it. I have that place because Jesus earned it. We have to have this in order. We have to have a good understanding of this in order to have good friendships. And here's why. Because if I'm trying to use my friends in order to attain righteousness... If I use you to tell myself I'm okay, if I use popularity to tell myself I'm acceptable, I'm tanked. I'm doomed. I'm doomed to miserableness because that's just classic idolatry. And it can happen with friendships. It can happen with any relationship. It can happen with other stuff too. If being excellent at my job is my identity, that's the thing that makes me okay, something's going to happen. I'm not always excellent at my job. Or even if I am, Everybody doesn't always know that I'm always excellent at my job. Or if having a lot of money is the thing that makes me okay. I mean, the stock market does wild things. Lots of people have riches to rags stories. And if that's what I'm depending on, I'm going to have a problem. And if I say I'll be acceptable to God when... I find a husband, when my children make A's, when I get a thousand likes on Instagram, when I, I have the perfect relationship, I launch my children to success, I get the raise, or I get the car, or I buy the house. If we put any of these markers here and say, my righteousness will come from this thing that's not God, we're just setting ourselves up for a lot of misery. God says, no, 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 no. You have righteousness already. You are. You have it now. You have it because of Jesus now. We're going to talk about some more um, practical tips. We're going to talk about expectations in friendship next week. And then the week after that, we're going to talk about self-awareness, which is just such a, such a wonderful skill to, uh, to try to develop. But in the meantime, I really want us just to take time today during prayer and throughout this week to, to talk to God and to do some work with God of saying, like, am I receiving my righteousness from you? Am I, am I, am I, do I know I'm acceptable because of you, God? And if there's there's any doubts in there, if there's a struggle, let's let God tell us the truth about ourselves. Let's let him speak true things to us. We must place the weight of our need to be accepted on God because it'll crush anyone else. 
And maybe that'll work at first. Maybe that would seem fine at first in friendships. I'm very popular. I feel good. But over time, the quality of those relationships will degrade. And unhealthy patterns will emerge. And ultimately, my life will just be a trail of one broken relationship after the next. And it doesn't have to be that way. God doesn't want it to be that way. Friendship is a gift. Jesus calls us his friends. God like, makes almost peers out of us. It says in the Bible that he's not ashamed to call us his brethren, his brothers and sisters. And we're going to talk about the practical things, but in the meantime, I think it's just really important that we receive God's acceptance and his pleasure. The God's perfect rule and reign, God getting his way, the kingdom now, it means that God's great joy is that we are included in all of that and that we can receive that inclusion and that we can receive his love. So when we're engaged in relationships as imperfect humans with other imperfect humans, (laughs) we can be loving from God as the source of our love. And we can forgive as he forgives. We can be generous as he is generous because we're accepted because he accepted us. So would you stand? Our worship team is going to come up and play another song. And we have an opportunity to let God... Uh, work on us a little bit. I always like to think of this part like a massage, you know, like you just lay there and he does the work. He knows. Um, We do like to pray for each other. So many of us have been trained. So if you would like for someone else to help with that hard work, it's awesome. It's the best thing because you come up into this circle and you just stand there. Somebody introduces themselves to you and they ask how they can pray and then they do everything and you just stand there. If you're like me, you just stand there and cry and cry and cry all the happy tears because God is loving you and this other person is helping God love you and it's a really wonderful time. In fact, the cornerstone of so many of my friendships have come from like in this circle right here where we prayed for each other. And if you don't want to do that, no pressure. You can stay at your seat and I'd love for you to be able to worship and to pray and to consider. I think especially this morning, if you'd say, well, I don't know if I am acceptable to God. Or if you would say, "Uh uh-oh, like I think I am relying on other things to feel acceptable. I don't know if I have the same freedom that Kara's talking about. I think God especially wants to talk to you. If anything else in the sermon stuck and you want to get prayer about it, we welcome you to come up and pray. So let's worship God together now.